Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Success is just a seed that grows with every effort you do. That's a quote by Priyanka Prakash. And this week, we're joined by Nigel Green, who's going to talk about what you can do to harvest your customers to create sales success. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard. the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor, get to vidyard.com, sign up, and start using video in your sales process. December is here, and Christmas is almost upon us. Wow, what a year. It's gone pretty quick. In some respects, it's uh, it's been quite a slow burn and uh, we've had to really grind it out to get to the end of 2020 and 2021 is literally at our doorstep and the work that we're doing now it's not to finish off 2020 it's actually to set up a very successful 2021 and that's what I really love about this particular episode because you know Nigel is an incredible thought leader and um, is a real practitioner and, and has brought out a great book which is about revenue harvest and I think that term for me is really, really important right now because for many people, we look for an immediate result. Now, when it comes to selling, you've heard me say this time and time again, the input, the prospecting effort that we put in today, we shouldn't expect an outcome tomorrow. That's just the reality of what we do, especially in B2B sales. It's different if it's in B2C and it's more transactional and you can, you can turn sales over quicker. But ultimately, prospecting is about planting seeds and enabling you to really grow, have an abundance of growth occur, but it's not going to occur for 30, 60, 90, 120 days. So everything that we're doing now, it's about enabling success into 2021. As we start to wrap up this year, ask yourself some, some really clear questions. Ask yourself, you know, what have you learned through the year? What's challenged you? You know, what would you do differently if you could go back? And what's one thing you would do again? Because, you know what, doesn't matter what's happened, whether you've smashed your target, whether you've completely been crushed and you haven't been able to even come close to your target, everyone has performed a positive. And it's important to identify what that positive was and make sure that you build on that positive. And as we move into 2021, this is going to be a bit of a theme for me over the next couple of weeks. It's about looking at what... What is possible in 2021? What are the seeds that you can plant? What are the goals? What are the big, the hairy, audacious goals that you can set for yourself for you to achieve success? Because you know what? The recovery is here and you know 2021 will be that stepping stone. It's an outcome. Anything is possible if we put the mind to it. So you know, really, really looking forward to this episode and, and diving into what you can do to harvest your customer base to create sales success. So, mate, uh, welcome to the show, Nigel. 
Luigi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. And uh, look, before we get into an exciting topic, which is about revenue harvest and how sales professionals can create a plan for success, we'd love to know a bit more about you, mate, and how you started in the world of sales. Yeah, so like all the good things that have happened in my life, it chose me, uh, you know, left to my own devices, probably wouldn't be on this path. But, uh, you know, I'm someone that is uh, insatiably curious. I'm, I'm a quick study and I have this uh, unending competitive energy. I was, I'm an ex-college athlete. So those two characteristics are really good for being a seller. And right out of college, I had an opportunity to get into healthcare, which is another sector of sales that chose me. I never, you know, never knew that I would be working in the healthcare space, nor did I have a desire for it. But I started out uh, selling medical devices and equipment, realized that uh, I'm actually wired more so to be a leader of a team and not a, not a producer. And so from there, I uh, took a chance to build and lead sales teams. And now here we are 10 years later, and it's, uh, it's my craft. Oh, well. Wow. And mate, do you mind me asking you talk about... Um you had that sort of epiphany that you're more of a, a leader versus a producer. Um, talk to me about that sort of process in life. I mean, you did you work as a sales professional producing results before you made that step up? Yeah, I did produce results. But to say, like, so there, there are different levels of results on a sales team. Yeah. If you look at any sales team, you're going to have a certain percentage that year in and year out are going to beat their targets, exceed it significantly, regardless how much you increase it year over year. Then you're going to have a set of reps that are going to be around target year in and year out. We call them, I call them core performers. Yeah. And then you have laggards and, and the laggards are the ones that fail. They struggle. They don't stay long because they can't hit the number. And unfortunately you, you let them go and go a different direction. I was in that middle third. I was always going to hit my number or be close to it. But I think what separates me from those perennial sellers, those that never want to get into leadership, that always want to produce, they are, and this is not a, this is not a judgment. This is really a compliment. They, they are a win at all cost. Mm. And sometimes uh, people stand in the way of their own success. You'll see them uh, mostly coming at playing individual sports and athletics. So they get the idea of a team, but they're going to win at all costs. So golfers, rowers, swimmers, track stars, those, they're not going to let dynamics in the team and dynamics in the company prevent them from doing what they need to do. I'm just not wired that way. I tend to want to pull everyone along and think about team over me. Uh, And so I, I would see myself making concessions or going to help another teammate out at the expense of my own territory. And ultimately you're never going to be a 200% to plan type rep with, uh, with that mindset. Yeah. And did you find that kind of made it harder for you to build rapport with your sales teams that you're leading, given that you weren't that ultra number one producer, now you're more of a sort of middle, middle of the range no, not at all, because there were certainly quarters where, um, you know, I'd be, you know, there, I can think back to some of my days where out of 80 reps, I'd be the top performer in a quarter. Yeah. So I'd win a quarter award or finish the year with the most uh, product, you know, most sales in this product category. Okay. So I always would win in some areas, but I just never, like, I think there's some guys like this guy like Brandon Baca that I used to work with out of Denver. And he was always, I mean, just crushing every category quarter in and quarter out you couldn't get him i mean you he was helpful when you could get him on the phone or try to you know but 
he was so maniacally focused on winning. Yeah. Never, never, never could you commit to lead a team. Yeah. Interesting concept. I mean, I would love to talk a bit more about that particular concept, you know, when yeah. leading teams, you've obviously seen performers at all, you know, sets of the spectrum, right? But let's talk about the high performers. So you, you talk about their relentless focus to win. What are some of the other characteristics that they exhibit that make them always, you know, being the top 1%? Well, some of it is talent. You know, one thing that I don't—you'd ask, you know—do I struggle with getting other folks to um, to see me as a leader? I don't think Bill Belichick has any problem getting anybody on the New England Patriots yeah. to follow him. Right? That he's just—he's not Tom Brady. He's not Cam Newton now. Um, but but I think that there's an element to that. Like what Tom Brady and what Cam Newton do—they're physical specimens. And if you think about physical specimens in the sales role. They have really high EQ, emotional intelligence. That is the same as being able to lift a lot of weights and run really fast. The ability to know when to ask the right, the ability to know when to just sit silently, even though it's awkward, and create space for the customer to think and to the ability to articulate back to them what they just said in different words slightly changes the complexion of their answer. It might open up new possibilities that can be learned, but so much of that is about how you're wired. Yeah. So if you're listening to this episode and you're hearing, you know, the element of learned versus wired, what if you're not wired that way? What are some of the things that you can do to be wired in that way? Yeah. You study those that are really good at it. Yeah. So you, you can you can go to school on the performers on your team that are really good. Maybe maybe you just don't have the drive. Well, you, you can study the habit the habits yeah. of those that that have the drive and learn it over time. Maybe you're not as curious. Well, you can find yourself becoming more curious by forcing yourself to read things that are different that you might not all you might not naturally tend to pick up. And I think there's this element of they study their craft. I mean, these top performers, instead of going home at night and turning on Netflix, they're studying product catalogs. They are rehearsing for the presentation the next day. Yeah. All they think about is getting a deal. So let's flip this for a moment, right? So you're a leader listening to this podcast because we've got both sales professionals and sales leaders. And you've got a team. You've got a, a wide team. And, you know, as a sales leader, I know that when I was in the shoes, I always wanted to find, I always wanted my team to be performing at a certain level, right? I always wanted to lift the bottom performers into that middle category, into that high sort of top 5%. How can they, or what are some of the things that they can do to really lift that? So if you have got those guys that are not wired, they're doing what you said they're doing. They're going home, watching Netflix versus studying, rehearsing, role-playing, reading. What can leaders do to create an environment where it's going to elevate their team to just lift another level? Yeah, that's a uh, that's that is the one of the challenges of leading, right? Yeah. So, and I think it comes down to job fit. If uh, if someone's not wired to to do the task and behave the way that you you expect top performers to behave, one of the things you can do as a leader is acknowledge that and allow them to go be successful somewhere else, right? If that's not naturally their tendency to be 
studious in there, spend their free hours learning the craft. And that's an expectation you have for your team. And that's the, that's really the culture that you've built in the team. They probably feel what you feel too. And it doesn't feel like they found we really have a responsibility as leaders to have that tough conversation and help them go be successful in a culture that's going to match their um, match the way that they're wired. The other thing that you can do is recognize, is this a coachable gap? Like if it's not just a behavioral or a chemistry mismatch on the team, how can I help them learn what they need? How do I create opportunities for them to apprentice under a top performing rep? Or how can I step in and model for them the behavior that I want to see or the skill I want them to improve? So there's a couple of things you can do. You can you can allow them to go be successful or you can model an apprentice through some of your other top performers. Yeah. That's why so many professional athletes, they don't just come in I mean, and immediately start. Mm. They come in and study under someone that may have less talent than them, but just has a lot more experience in the role. And so a lot of times as leaders, we, we're gifted with someone on our team that has loads and loads of talent. But they need to study someone who knows how to harness that talent to do the right thing at the right time. Because doing the right thing at the wrong time is still a bad decision. Yeah. You know, it is an interesting concept, right? Like you look at a an athlete and they come into a, a squad in any sport and they're given time to develop, time to nurture. There's not an expectation that they're going to be number one or achieve the best results immediately. But then in the sales profession, we kind of go, well, we give them three to six months to ramp. <laughs> you know, we onboard them, induct them, and then expect them to start producing incredible results um, in such a short period of time. Do you think that we're kind of setting up the profession for failure straight away with that type of methodology? I don't. I think that a lot of sales leaders fundamentally don't know how to identify Okay, so uh, the professional sports teams, I, I think that they um, – I think they have down to micro micro measurements what the, what the ideal athlete needs to look like. Yeah. I think the leader on the team doesn't have that level of clarity. And so they're bringing in people that are really talented in sales, but let's face it, sales is it's like saying you're an athlete, well you may be a cricket athlete, not a rugby athlete. Okay, so sales is brought, not just, just because you were successful in one mm. type of selling doesn't mean you're going to be successful here. So they bring in these people that have great pedigrees, incredible resume, but it was a different type of sale. Yeah. And so you just got to get really clear on what is the anatomy of a successful seller and hold yourself accountable to only hiring people that can do that type of selling really well. And I think when you do that, and, and the leaders that I work with that get really clear within the sales umbrella, what specifically they're looking for in a seller, they don't churn through people every three to six months. And they see them producing. Yeah, because I mean, I see, you see the data, the data is really, really clear, right? The data shows that there's what, 60, I think it's going to be higher, you know, after this whole pandemic. But before the pandemic, it was, you know, some reports showed 60, over 60% of sales team not hitting target. 83 mm percent -hmm. of sdrs didn't hit target last year like these are some pretty compelling numbers right for any leader to look at and go holy crap like i'm paying these guys to make money 
And if you're the other person, if you're the salesperson going, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, this is my, this is my career, right? I, I go to work, I spend 40 to 50 hours. I spend more time at work than I do at home with my family. Uh, maybe not now, right? Because we're all working from home. But um, the reality is it's a lot of time to be, to be doing, a, doing a job and you're not producing, right? So do you think there's something fundamentally broken um, in the profession? Or is that just to be expected, that we should expect that, you know, a whole bunch of teams are just not going to hit the number? You know, it's a question that I think about a lot. And I, I wish I knew the answer. I wish I had some <laughs> answer right now that was going to shake the ground for everybody <laughs> listening. The reality is it's just far more nuanced than the statistic, okay? Yeah. I talk to sales leaders every day that have never created a forecast. And it's unreasonably aggressive. So I bet you even their best people aren't going to hit their target. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't hit the target, the investors and the board are going to be happy with their miss. But it still falls in the category of mm. missed target. I know a lot of sales leaders that can go and recruit great people, but they have a fundamentally flawed training and onboarding program. Well, if you get great people and you don't train them, they're going to miss their target. And then there is this other subset of leaders that don't expect for any type of adversity to come throughout the year. So they build these plans and forecasts with razor thin margin and then something catastrophic like COVID happens and there's no chance they're going to hit their target because they didn't anticipate that adversity would rear her ugly head at some point during the selling year. Yeah. So if we if we were to flip this right, because and then you know it it, it kind of blows my mind to hear some people don't have forecasts or targets or plans, etc. But if we were to flip this, because ultimately, as a sales professional, regardless of the training that we get, the induction, um, how our managers create the plan, the ultimate responsibility on us hitting our target falls with us, right? Um, at the end of the day, we're the ones that will fall on the sword if we don't produce. Um, what are, what are some of the things like if I'm listening to this right now going, I don't have a plan, Nigel, I don't actually have a formal sales plan. I'm just doing my thing, trying to, trying to, you know, get bank. Where do I start? First thing you, you do is you realize that the plan you write is going to be useless, but the exercise of planning is essential. Okay, so you have to be able to sit down and say, okay, for this month, this quarter, this year, what are my targets? Okay, well, let's go back then and look at some data and say, uh, one, have I or someone that I can model hit these targets before? If yes, what were the activities that were required in order to produce these types of results? So that you get, you have to understand all of the elements of a successful plan, right? You have to know what to do and when, at what volume, at what quality, in order to achieve the result. I think that one of the things that most sellers and most sales leaders uh, fail at when it comes to planning is they don't take it one step further, Luigi, and assign their results, whether it be revenue, uh, deals, MQLs, SQLs, they don't sign it at the account or the opportunity level. Yeah. And what I mean by that is specifically naming 
those logos, those prospects, those accounts from last year that you need to keep this year, assigning your goals to them. And until you do that, you don't have a plan. Yeah, I like that. So, and, and you mentioned that in your book, right? So you're suggesting that that plan shouldn't just be the overarching strategy on, on you know, how you're going to achieve target or, you know, how many SQLs, MQLs, et cetera, but it should actually go into the point of named accounts. So what are the actual accounts that you're going to look to bring in? What are those net new logos that you're going to look to engage with? Yeah, and that's that right. That exercise bridges the forecast, bridges the plan from theoretical to actual because you're, you're able to visualize the activities being orchestrated with those accounts, with those targets throughout the period, whether it's a quarter or a month. And then you begin to, you see it, right? There's this mind shift of like, this is realistic. And the brain has this uh, unique way of convincing us that things that haven't yet happened mm-hmm. are, are going to happen and become reality. And when you can begin to visualize yourself executing these tasks, hitting these targets with these specific accounts, you start to create buy-in with yourself. And once you can get emotion around the plan, your, your uh, likelihood of being successful goes way up. And so I, I think that's why we have to be able to assign all of the expectations that our leader has given to us down at the account or opportunity level. That's awesome, man. I, I actually really like and, and, and like that concept of manifesting the opportunities that you want to engage with earlier in the process. I, I don't know how you could really have a plan <laughs> without doing that. O- yeah. Otherwise, you're just doing lip service to your leader, whoever it is. Oh, yeah, we're going to get there, boss. We're, we're going to get there. Oh, yeah, well, how? Tell me exactly how. And this, this arms you with some really good leverage when you're meetings to say, I'm glad you asked that question, Miss Leader. Let me show you the accounts that I'm going to close or the opportunities I'm going to win over the next period that's going to get us there. Hmm. And so just on that, right, so you talk about that overarching plan that's more of your macro plan. And I like in the book how you actually go, you know, you talk about not just planning from macro, but then planning for meetings and then planning for, you know, your weeks, etc. Talk to us about why that's so important that that plan is then cascaded down to a weekly sort of plan for a sales pro. I think it's important that you plan it down to the weekly level for the sales professional because there are, we all face different seasons in the year and throughout our career. And if we go into each selling year thinking that we're just going to push it, pedal to the metal every day, every week, it's a bit naive because inevitably this thing called life happens, okay? Yeah. And so if we don't account for uh, some rest and some time for us to uh, not just take a break, that's rest, but then restore, which is to fix, okay? So you use a piece of equipment for so long, it breaks down. You got to change the oil. You got to rotate the tires. Well, we're kind of we're kind of like machines in this big bigger machine, we're we're pieces of equipment that are being used to generate revenue. And if you look at it from that perspective, if you don't build into your plan some elements of taking a break, mentally changing your oil, uh, finding ways to educate yourself that uh, help you become better for the second half of the year or for next selling year, 
you're going to burn out and you're going to find yourself um, either wanting to quit or being asked to leave. Yeah. And how, and, and do you see this often? Do you see this as a, as a, as a big gap in, in, in the profession? People just not planning their weeks to be. Successful? So I work primarily with sales leaders and I, you know, leaders of teams, the VPs, the CMOs, CROs, how I see this and that is they become so caught up in the travel and the excitement, the significance they get from being in this airport, closing this big deal, that a lot of other areas in their life get neglected. Physical health, mental yeah. health, uh, hobbies, uh, how much they eat, how much they sleep, how much they take care of themselves. And they begin to lose luster over time. And that, you know, the, so that's how I see it manifest. And, and I, what I try to encourage leaders that I work with is this is a very competitive game. And if, if you want to be a sales leader that hits your target year in and year out, there's no way you can't train your whole self. There's no way you can't take care of yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually throughout the whole year and think you can just burn both ends of the candle for 36 or 48 months and have anything left. Mm. And it's interesting you say that, right? Because what's the average tenure of a CSR or a sales VP? It's what, 18 months, it's, they say. Yeah, um, it's less than three years. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you're right. There's obviously something going on there that's that's having an impact in a negative way for that to be such a high turnover. The other way – so this is the other thing, Luigi. Like I, I want to just make one more point there. Um, and I've learned this the hard way. I, I see so many sales leaders, and I think this, this is applicable to sellers. So don't tune out if you're just in a, in a production role. We leave one opportunity, and we immediately go to the next mm. with no built-in time to rest and restore. So we take all of that baggage – all of the tactics and everything that worked or maybe didn't work and all the scars from that last role and jump right into the next. And we, we don't have any time to reset and yeah. say, okay, what's going to need to be different about me? What, what I give to this opportunity, how I manage myself, what the company expects, the nuances of what I'm selling now versus what I used to sell. We don't do the inventory of what needs to change before that next opportunity and we just go into it as if we're in a trance doing everything we did at the last one and we get the same outcome. Um, and, and oftentimes it's not a very good outcome. It's fine. You know what? It's interesting you say that because I don't see that, that reflection happen at the deal level either, right? Um, that very few, if they lose a deal, that they stop and they actually look at, okay, what happened during that opportunity that stopped them from buying? Um, and even reflecting the positive, like the people that do buy, ask the question, well, why did they buy from us, right? I think that reflection stage that you've brought up is, is super important because it's, it's that reflection that enables us to learn and enhance um, or improve or even just to really get an understanding of what we're doing well to continue that. Um, I mean, t tell us, do you see that sort of at a deal level as well or are, they lack are people lacking that? Oh, it's completely lacking. Okay. Yeah, and I think that you know, so this is an opportunity, if you're in a sales role now, to train yourself. You talk about what are the skill sets of, uh, of the top performers. Well, I'll tell you this, Luigi. I, I've, all the really elite sellers I know 
the ones that refuse to get into management, they're always doing postmortems on deals. Yeah. In fact, I, I can think of one individual uh, specifically who requires it, win or lose, on any opportunity of a certain size. He's pulling in finance. He's pulling in uh, production. He's pulling in all these stakeholders that contributed to the process of getting these deals, and they're doing a postmortem on everyone, like it or not. Hmm. And there's a lot of learning that can come from deal reviews, right? Like I, I work closely with a gentleman called Ken McLaughlin who spent the last decade, probably more now, um, on win-loss and, uh, and the, the kind of data and, and the insight that you can, you can take away from, from deals that decided to, to sign and didn't is, is amazing. So, so mate, just, just on that, so we, we, we really, you know, this has been a really good episode because we're diving into kind of, um, you know, what makes a, a high performing sales professional and you talk about planning, you talk about reflection, um, you know, the commitment to winning, uh, the fact that they've, they're trying to find ways to improve. Is there anything else that we've missed that, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're trying to take your sales to another level, is there anything that we've missed that could help sales professionals be the best they can be? Oh, man. So I'm glad you asked. One of the things, uh, so my, my book, Revenue Harvest, is written from the perspective of a farmer. And uh, so there, I, I've taken seven principles that farmers use when they approach the growing year, no matter what they're growing or where they are in the world, all good farmers do this. And one of the things that often gets overlooked are uh, when we look at our friends in the farming community is the amount of preparation that goes into uh, the craft of being a farmer before the first seed is ever even put into the ground. And, and that people are like, well, what is, where's, where's Nigel going with this? Nobody prepares like the farmer does. Nobody in sales does. And uh, the real learning, and I think if, if, if we're talking about what, what else is missing, the amount of preparation. So if you've got, so you've got five big, big meetings this week. If you're not spending 10 to 15 hours just preparing for those five meetings, you're really leaving a lot of opportunity uh, in your win-loss column, just out there to chance. And, you know, Jim Collins says in his book, Good to Great, uh, chance favors the prepared, the ROL, return on luck. Hmm. We're all going to be presented with uh, fortuitous breaks along our career. Maybe in this selling year, maybe you're due a, a really nice experience with chance next month. And, and Lady Luck, she favors those of us that are prepared, that have anticipated all the ways things could go, have thought every scenario through, have read all the research we can. So, you know, don't leave it up to chance. Uh, and because when she comes and you're not prepared, you're going to be upset. So leave it up to preparation because chance is coming. Mm. You know, that's really, that, for me, I got a bit lost there, Nigel. That's really insightful, right? Because you're right that you need to create your own luck. And uh, that planning is so essential. And, and that's one of the things I like about in your book, you know, that, um, you know, talk about the mission and the vision and the plan, right? Really consider. But what if, like, you know, thinking about that five meetings, 10 to 15 hours of preparation, um, what if you're not a farmer, mate? What if you're top of the funnel and you're just trying to get net new logos in the door and you've just, you know, you're, you're trying to create opportunities? 
Should I be spending that much time researching? Yeah. Well, you don't you don't have hours, but instead of just instead of thirty seconds, how about two minutes yeah. researching? Right. So, like, you know, if you're at the top of the funnel, you you know what the proxy is here for you. I mean, you you know how many times you just fired off that LinkedIn mail with, and it was canned and it was copy and paste, and you didn't even go to yeah. look and say, "Oh gosh, I went to the same freaking college or university as this person. Why didn't I start there?" Yeah, I mean, I see this. That's all the time, what I'm right? talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely, yeah. and I I think everybody should take that away. That that lack of personalization, that lack of, and I think it's funny, you know, like. Coaching a team across Asia-Pacific in the telecommunication sector and uh, what's been really interesting is some of the team, just when it comes to that pragmatic research component, um, they're not really diving deep like, you know, not going beyond the surface, Nigel. And I I, I look back at when I was really successful selling to uh, large enterprise, like the likes of News Corporation was one that come to mind. I did spend a lot of time researching. I did spend a lot of time in the research stage of the process because I needed to make sure that I was able to form the right discovery that created the best business case for change, right? So I think you've hit something really, uh, for anyone listening right now, it should be about, well, how much am I preparing? What am I doing to enable me to achieve success? So this has been great. Let me share one last thing on that before we go is that, Nobody, nobody buys anything because of what it does. Yeah. People, people buy because of how it makes them feel. Yeah. Okay. And until you can anchor your position with the customer on what their outcome is and how they're going to feel at the end of this deal, wasting your time. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's just, I love that, mate. People don't buy what you do, mate. They buy the feeling. They buy the feeling of the outcome that it enables them to achieve. So that's brilliant. And mate, before we sort of uh, get to that point of point of you know, this has been great, Nigel, and we could talk about this sort of stuff for hours. But um, we'd love to know, in your opinion, is sales an art or a science? Neither. It's a craft. It's a craft. I like that. You know, that's that's, a, that's the most unique response I've had. Why? Why is it? Tell me why. Well, so I'm a bow hunter. Okay, people ask me all the time. Well, is bow, horn, bow, bow hunting a, a is it a sport? No, it's not a sport. Um, is it a hobby? No, it, it's far more, um, far more intense than, than just being a hobby. There, there's, uh, in, in selling, there's certainly a lot of science to it. The science of psychology, the science of mathematics, the science of mar- what is marketing. And then there's an art to it. There's the art of uh, persuasion. There's the art of connection. There is uh, the art of influence. And when you can bridge the gap between that exists between, you know, the one end of this bridge is art. The other end of this bridge is science. And there in yep. the middle, that's craft, man. You're a craftsman. Mm. Absolutely. Man, I love that. Absolutely love that response, Nigel. So, mate, um, where, can, where can our listeners find more about you? Easily find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to grab a copy of the book, uh, Revenue Harvest, you can get it anywhere books are sold. Here's what I'll tell you. If you go to therevenueharvest.com, if you buy your book there, I'll sign it, and uh, you'll save ten dollars from what you'd pay anywhere else. If, if you're if you're one of those junkies that <laughs> likes to uh, read it on a Kindle or read it on um, or, or listen to it audio, just send me an email. So go buy it. Go buy your Kindle book. Go buy the ebook or go buy the audio book. Send me just send me a quick note in your address, and I'll just ship you a signed copy as a thank you. 
Well, mate, I uh, look for anyone that hasn't um, read it yet. We're going to put it in the show notes. Our very good friend uh, Mary Lou Tyler um, is, is has put a really good forward in there, and uh, it's it's a great book. It covers, you know, it covers a number of things that I think every sales professional should be looking at right now, um, especially from the planning. It's even got some reference from an old, you know, from an old Miller Hyman book as well, which um, again recommend everybody should be. Trying to find that extra 1%, especially as you said, Nigel, you know, like there's a difference between the high performers and some of it is just the desire to win, the desire to succeed and create their own success and create the return on like. And I absolutely love that. So, mate, I want to say thank you for coming on the Sales IQ podcast. Uh, really appreciate you sharing what you've shared and also the contribution you make to our profession, mate. My pleasure, Luigi. It's been, a, it's been an honor to be with you.